Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, the 49ers move to 5-4, and four, winning record, 22-16 to 16 over the Chargers. They didn't beat them as badly as I thought they'd beat them. I thought that this would be a multiple possession kind of game, but they kept it close. They actually fell behind 13-3, to three, but then I think the overwhelming amount of talent for the 49ers won out against the Chargers team that was hampered by injuries. And the 49ers were too, to be fair. They're missing three of their starting defensive linemen and their leading tackler at linebacker in the second half after Dre Greenlaw got ejected. And I guess that, you know, makes a lot of this really impressive because Matt, the 49ers pitched a shutout in the second half. They didn't give up anything. 52 total yards. This was a game after they gave up only 58 total yards and zero points against the Rams in the second half. So you, you had that half of the equation, the 49ers finishing a game strong on defense. That should definitely not be taken for granted. And then on the other side of the ball, you, you had good quarterback play. Jimmy Garoppolo was a master on third downs in this game. They went 9 of 17 on third downs, but 5 of 8 on third and long. And that's not inclu- that, that is including a Brandon Ayuk drop in the end zone on third and long. So uh, it just... Across the board, the 49ers got what was really important, good defense and good quarterback play. And that kind of, I thought, masked inefficiencies elsewhere on offense. They, the, you know, the, the run game took a little bit to get going, but they ended up getting their, their running in volume in this game and it wore down the Chargers. And that is the 49ers formula. Yeah, and uh, Kyle Shanahan's take after it was, you know, that they made mistakes early uh, but they hung around in the game, and um, he thought it was sort of a, a Chargers-style game. That's how the Chargers have been winning uh, its games this year, keeping it close and then sort of uh, eking out wins, sort of gritty-type wins. And the 49ers really hadn't done that this year. All, all their close games ended up being losses. All their wins were, were blowouts. So uh, I know that this is some contortionist uh, uh, uh uh, work that I'm doing here, and, and Kyle Shanahan was doing the same thing on Sunday night. But it, it is good, Dennis, I, I suppose, that they can get into one of those uh, sort of, uh, you know, fights in the mud um, and and come out with a victory. And, and, and David's right. I mean, that was an injured Chargers team. They, they were slow to get up a lot. Uh, and I think that the 49ers' talent simply won out and the hope going forward is that that talent is more efficient is more cohesive uh is more kind of star-studded but like i said uh you, you got to win a few knife fights uh to to get to the super bowl and uh sunday night's game was was definitely one of those yeah and you know we all at the beginning of this game or, or during the week before the game we on paper we looked 
at all the different weapons coming back on offense. Uh, and then we didn't talk that much about Elijah Mitchell. And, you know, he's a guy that I think was the was a difference in this football game and the way he was running. And then the, in the first half, I think, you know, Kyle Shanahan got, you know, he was doing a lot of different things, a lot of different eye candy, you know, guys motion, orbit motions and, and all these different sets. But Elijah Mitchell was still getting three, four, five yards a pop. And I, whatever happened at halftime, I think Kyle Shanahan just kind of erased all that and said, listen, just give the ball to Elijah Mitchell and let him do what he does. Uh, and I think in the second half, that's where, you know, that, you know, the 40, was it 41 or 42 runs? That's what, you know, was a difference maker in this football game, you know, in some big down, third down, uh, you know, completions. Uh, uh, Juwan Jennings, he shows up, he comes back in the roster, he shows up, some key catches on third down and just give the ball. I mean, this was a defense. That was beat up and they were awful against the run. And I think in the second half, Kyle Shanahan just said, why, why get fancy? Just give the ball to Christian McCaffrey or give the ball to Elijah Mitchell and let them run the, run the ball. And we, and we saw in the fourth quarter that this defense, this Chargers defense was beat up and they was, they were worn down. And then the defense shows up, you know, and you're able, you know, to rush with four guys and get pressure on the quarterback and Dre Greenlaw. That was a play that, you know, I don't think he should have been ejected. I think it was a it was a helmet to helmet. And then in this and then in the NFL, anything helmet to helmet's gonna be a penalty. I don't think it should have been him being ejected, but that was a turning point in the game there too, because I think Herbert, you know, he remembered that hit and it and he and it affected him in the second half. And you didn't see much at all from the Chargers offense in the second half after that hit, after he came back in the football game. So Two weeks in a row, you see this defense come out in the second half and play lights out. And, you know, and that's huge. And and uh, Fred Warner said after the game, you know, these are the games that build character, the games that you have to fight and win. But again, I mean, there's other ways of building character. But if that's what this team is, and I think that's what this team is, you play teams, you play down to teams, you get you give them a lead and you have to play catch up and you have to become a really efficient on offense and defense. So, you know, this this was a good game, I think, you know, coming out the bye. After that first drive, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, here we go. But uh, they lock it down. Offense gets in the rhythm. Jimmy Garoppolo sees the entire football field, and they come out victorious. Let's talk about that Dre Greenlaw ejection because Matt happened to be the pool reporter, so he had the pleasure of talking to the official after the game who was designated to speak to the media. And, Matt, you can fill us in a little bit further about whether or not what you thought the, the the official who obviously was representing the NFL uh, said was truthful. But what stood out to me is that he said, and you asked a great question, he, he said that, that this would have been treated the same way if it was a running back. And to that, I was like, oh, my God, because <laughs> Debo Samuel was a running back in the second half and he got his face mask yanked and nobody even batted an eye. And you can't tell me that Justin Herbert – if he had been in a similar situation and got his face mask yanked, that, that there would have been no flag. I just think that whether it's subconscious or overt, officials treat these quarterbacks completely differently when they're running in the open field. And they treat certain quarterbacks completely differently. It's not just quarterbacks, but I'm not so sure that there would have been an ejection had Jimmy Garoppolo been running and took that hit. But uh, that was the answer that he gave you. So what, what was your takeaway from that interview? Yeah, it was a phone interview. This is with uh, Walt Anderson, the the VP of officiating, and he's in uh, New York, or he was uh, remote. 
So I could not see his nose growing um, uh, when, he, when he said that, but uh, I agree with you. I mean, this is uh, Dennis knows all about this. This is a, a quarterback-driven league. They treat these guys with kid gloves and, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of contrasts were made with a big hit on Juju Smith-Schuster, the, the Chiefs uh, wide receiver, who took a really vicious helmet-to-helmet hit, and there wasn't a penalty called, much less an ejection on that play. So, um, yeah, the fact that Herbert is not only a quarterback, but one of the marquee quarterbacks, I think absolutely uh, led to uh, the uh, the outcome there. You know, what was interesting to me is that uh, Anderson said that the fact that it was a helmet-to-helmet personal foul call on the field, that allowed New York to get involved. Uh, so it wasn't Sean Smith, the, the head uh, official, on the field, it was uh, the guys in New York who reviewed it. And uh, I asked the question, I, I thought that because uh, Herbert was being tackled from behind by uh, Fred Warner, and then, you know, mid, mid-fall, he gets hit again by Jimmy Ward, both legal hits. But my thought was that because those guys sort of altered Herbert's trajectory, that maybe that should have been a mitigating factor, that um, uh, Dre Greenlaw is going in for the tackle. Herbert is is changing directions in a very sudden manner, and so he really has no control. He being Greenlaw has no control over where he hits him. In fact, that's what led to the ejection is because they said that Herbert was already going down. He had a knee down, and that um, Greenlaw could have changed, could have decided not to hit him at all. And uh, he said that it's the decision-making process, that the that tackler makes a decision that is goes beyond the line, and that is what led to the ejection. And now I know that nobody uh, who roots for the 49ers agrees with the call, but that's, uh, that's what the NFL was saying uh, led to that ejection. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's it, you know, we always say it's an unwritten rule, but it's a written rule. I mean, these 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 referees, umpires, they know that, you know, these are the marquee players. These quarterbacks are the marquee players. And, and this is what the NFL is going to protect. And they're they're always going to protect them, no matter who it is. I mean, if I think any quarterback that's a an up and coming star like a, a Justin Herbert is, they're going to protect him. I mean, this guy is six, six, right? Like 240 pounds. Uh, then you got a DB that, you know, maybe weighs 145 pounds and you're, you know, you're going to hit this, this runaway locomotive and he's a quarterback. And and I'm going to tell you guys the mentality. And I think Jimmy Ward said it after the game, the mentality is to run through any runner. I mean, that's, that's the mentality of a defensive player. You are paid to hit and tackle people. So, you know, changing, you know, your choice, your choice is to hit. I mean, that is the first choice of a defensive player. Your your choice is to hit. There's no choice to avoid at all. I mean, and I looked at the play. I didn't see the knee down. It looked like he was still a, a live runner. I mean, he passed his line of scrimmage. He's a runner. And, you know, once you get in the secondary, you get, you know, to the second level. I mean, you're live bait, you know. And, I, I you know, the hit was head-to-head, yeah. Penalty, yes. But ejection, no. Because as a defensive player, that's what you do. You hit, you're physical, you tackle. That's what you do. So, but then I do think that that changed the game. I think Justin Herbert, after that, after he went to the sideline, went under the blue tent, and he was cleared again, he remembered that hit. He was seeing ghosts. He threw the ball away a lot 
in the second half because he didn't want any he didn't he didn't want any, any piece of that. He could feel that hit. He remembered that hit. So yes, he got ejected, but I think it was a key play in that football game because it changed the way that offense uh, was going to play because your quarterback was remembering that hit, and that's what you want to do as a defensive player for a young quarterback like that. You want to put hits. You want to get into his head to make him think about those hits. So, but you know, they're always going to protect the quarterback. I mean, that's just the way this league is. And it's tough on a defensive player, but that's the way the league is. You have to know anytime you come to the head, anywhere close to the head, it's going to be a penalty. I just don't agree with the ejection. That's something you see in college. I've never seen it in the pros. So. Especially called in from the league office. You know, yeah. it, it was almost like they were trying to make an example out of Dre Greenlaw. Uh, I don't know if reputation has something to do with it because he has had a couple personal fouls in the past. But they went out of their way from from the league office to do that. Now, to Dennis's point, you know, it, it did affect probably did affect Herbert the rest of the game. It also might have prevented the Chargers from scoring four more points there. They were starting to move the ball downfield, right? That penalty gave him 15 extra yards. And they ended up having to settle for a field goal because Chase Daniel, the backup quarterback, didn't do anything when he came into the game. So that that could have been a significant positive impact for the 49ers. But that's also more context to all of this. That was a highly contested drive because the 49ers had just scored a touchdown to make it 13 to 10, right? So the Chargers had not a lot of time on the clock, about a minute left in the first half to try to rebut while knowing that the 49ers were getting the ball first in the second half. So this was a huge drive in terms of win probability, game flow. And uh, those we, we were there. We were watching this game. We all sensed how important this drive was. There was a lot of intensity out on the field. And it was a third down run. And, you know, when you put that context on things, of course guys are going to be trying to tackle the runner. Of course guys are going to be trying to fly to the football. So, you know, I just find it very dubious that the NFL comes out and says that Dre Greenlock could have done something differently in a bang-bang split-second decision when we know the intensity on the line in that play. And it just makes me ask the question, what should have Dre Greenlaw done? Should he? Does the league just want him to, to stand there and let Justin Herbert keep on running? Because the hits that came in from the other defenders on the other side – they had just as much chance of ending in a helmet-to-helmet hit had something gone a little bit differently, right? So in a way, it seems to me like you're incentivizing players to just stand around and let Justin Herbert score a touchdown running the football just because he's Justin Herbert. And that's not fair to players anywhere in the league, to me. You know, I, I look at that and it's like, okay, if the league just comes out and says, okay, fine, quarterbacks are going to be protected. They should run for touchdowns at all times. At least everybody knows what, what the rules are. That, that would be no fun, right, if they said that. But at least everybody would know what the ground rules are. But right now, the NFL is trying to pretend that a quarterback is treated exactly the same way as a running back, when in fact, that's, that's, that's not the case. And then it's leaving defenders caught in between these extreme rocks and hard places, Matt. The other part of that is that, uh, you know, in, in previous weeks, if the 49ers lost Dre Greenlaw in a close game like this, it would have been Oren Burks or Demetrius Flanagan Fowles coming in. Uh, in this game, it was Aziz Alshair, uh, who was back uh, for, for the first time since, uh, when did he hurt his knee? I think it was the Denver game in week three. 
And at that point, they had said, uh, oh, that's an eight-week injury. And they had told, uh, they had told Al-Shair that uh, the earliest you're going to be back is the Mexico City game, um, the, the Week 11 game against the Cardinals. And he uh, told me after the game that he took that and he said, okay, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to aim for the, the week before that. And even went so far as to invite his mom from Florida. She'd never seen him play outside uh, or in California at Levi Stadium. Uh, so he really put a lot of pressure on himself to get back for this game. And lo and behold, he has to play the whole second half as that will linebacker and ends up playing really well. But, uh, you know, it's it's little little things like that, like inviting your mother <laughs> may have, may have uh, helped the 49ers win this game. Uh, so uh, they... Uh, they benefited from having their full contingent of linebackers for this game. I thought that uh, Al Shair was one of the unsung heroes. I thought Diamador Lenore played well. Um, he doesn't really get a lot of uh, time in the limelight uh, opposite Charvarius Ward, but he played well. And then the guy who really jumped out to me because I hadn't seen him in so long was Jordan Willis, number 75. I wrote on Twitter that his, his snap to significant play ratio was really terrific because he only ended up playing something like 22 snaps or so. But he seemed to have an effect. He, he always was around the ball, had a lot of quarterback hits, had a sack. Um, I thought that uh, Dennis, he, he might have been one of the guys who, who jumped out to you as well. Yeah, and, you know, he, he had a sack. I mean, he was, he was constant pressure. I, I think that the, the front four, I mean, especially in the second half, they were really getting a lot of pressure. On Herbert, I mean, they were really, I mean, they were they were disciplined in their rush lanes. You know, Nick Bosa, even though you know he was getting chipped a lot, he's getting double teamed a lot. He was still able to get a, to, to get a lot of pressure. I think he ended up with one sack. Jordan Willis had that sack, and then you know the end of the game there. You know, he was I don't know if it was Jordan Willis or or Charles, um, but someone got the got their hand on the ball to deflect the ball a little bit. And yeah, I think yeah. it's Charles. Yeah. And then he gets, you know, and then who comes up with the uh, interception in the football game. So in the second half, I mean, there were some blitzes. Um, D'Amico Ryans did a good job of bringing the heat when he needed to bring the heat. But for the most part, it was just that front four. That front four really put a lot of pressure on Herbert in the second in the second half. And, you know, that was that was a difference maker because now you can sit back in coverage. Those two safeties sit back in coverage. And play have some sticky coverage. So, you know, your front four really showed up. You know, these guys playing a lot of snaps because of the injuries, but they really showed up in the second half just getting that pressure, constant pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, and I mean, they were down the three starting defensive linemen. And I would say, you know, you mentioned they didn't blitz a lot, but you have to give credit to D'Amico Ryans and Fred Warner for dialing up the right blitz at the right time. And I think yeah. some of that kind of helped tilt the – scales in their favor there was a Fred Warner blitz on third and eight that reminded me a ton of the Rams game right he he hit home three times in the second half of that Rams game totally shut the Rams out they only did it once in the second half but that one I mean he kind of just twisted around two of the defensive linemen went over right guard and got into the backfield right into Herbert's lap in a hurry and he just had to go with the giveaway throw up uh th the, <laughs> the giveaway throw up the Give up, throw away, Justin Herbert. <laughs> I'm sure I, I would throw up if Fred was. Warner was was <laughs> was closing in on me that quickly too. But um, no, I, I mean Fred Warner. I mean he just gets so skinny through that hole, right? And he's moving so fast at six four. 
it's an impressive play. Yeah, he's actually become a really good blitzer, and these last two games have illustrated that. And you're right. I mean, he's got that that physique. Um, you know, you, you stand next to him. You know, it, it, it's sometimes hard when the guy's at the podium and he's up, um, you know, behind the lectern and he's in the locker room with a bunch of uh, big guys. But I was standing next to to Warner coming out of the uh, the press conference yesterday. <laughs> he's really a, a a tall, kind of naturally thin, long limbed guy. You don't see that shape. Uh, as a linebacker, very much, especially this day and age, they're more like uh, like Drake Greenlaw and Al Shair and, and some of these other guys uh, around six feet, uh, two hundred and thirty five pounds. But uh, that is a nice shape to have when in, in, in uh, pass coverage for one, um, and uh, when you're blitzing because uh, he does uh, kind of get skinny through that hole, as David said, and then he can get really big and uh, put his hands up and. You, you have uh, trouble seeing. He had a great game. I thought uh, Nick Bosa really had a great game. Um, if you if you watch him every play, uh, you think, oh, you know, uh, a typical game has 65 snaps or so. He's going to get his, uh, his sacks. But really, uh, you subtract uh, running plays. You subtract the screens and the quick throws. You subtract all the time that he's being double teamed and chipped. They're really, at the end of the day, uh, and, and I'm sure Dennis knows this as, as much as anybody. There's really only uh, a handful of legitimate sack opportunities. And one of those was that Ch- Chase Daniel one at the end of the second quarter. And uh, Bosa made a nice shoestring uh, tackle for the sack there. And then he and Amenahue and um, uh, Willis were doing a really nice job of harassing Herbert uh, late in that game when uh, the, the Chargers had no choice but to drop back and go downfield. Yeah, and to stay on Fred Warner a little more, I mean, it's 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 tough for linebacker, you know, when you're running those stunts, because a lot of it's timing, because you have to let your defensive line, you know, if it's, just, if it's a two-man stunt or a three-man stunt, you got to let them get up the field and then get around. So, you know, so they're taking up all the blockers, and then you kind of find your way there. And Fred Warner's getting so much better at doing that. At the, the timing part of it is the key. Just knowing when there's when there's time to loop around. And he's becoming a really good pass rusher. And, you know, rushing the quarterback is tough for a defensive lineman. Then you get, you know, you get a linebacker and you talk about his size and his ability to get skinny. And it's and it's to your advantage because you kind of get dis, you kind of disappear with those big offensive linemen there because they're looking to grab onto somebody. So they're looking for bodies that are crossing their face. So if you work that timing right, you come free. You're a free rusher and you're able to get to the quarterback. So he is becoming a really good pass rusher because he's getting his timing down. And that's and that's key. And Nick Bosa is Nick Bosa. You know, I I I find myself kind of gravitating to him because he's such a unique guy. I mean, he plays the run well and he's a great pass rusher, but you know, you watch the way he he's able to read you know, an offensive tackle, the way, you know, he's on that wide nine, but he can look at the feet, the hand placement, and he can tell kind of how he's trying He's trying to get blocked. He's always aware of that chip block because that's what he's getting a lot of. But he's also really good about keeping that contained. I saw one play, he got upfield too far. And then they came back to that same exact play, and there he was in the gap waiting for that, for that, uh, for that running back. So, you know, he's, he, he is, he is a unique, dude because he's not you know he's not the biggest dude in the world but he's you know his football one-on-one is so good and just watching him play he makes he truly makes everyone else on that defensive line better because everybody else is going to be iso singled up 
and they have an opportunity to get to the quarterback or get to a run play. So, you know, watching Nick Bosa, if you're a defensive lineman and you're built like that, I mean, he's a guy, I mean, he gets in that, that track stance. And I just, I think about that bootleg when he's in that track stance. And, and I never understood how he can actually see, you know, the movement in the backfield because he's sitting so low to the ground, but he's able to get his eyes up find the ball carrier, find the quarterback, and still keep that contained. So he's he's a unique guy. I enjoy watching him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I mean, special, special player. Flip it to the other side of the ball. 49ers offense, we got to see Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell share the field for the same time. And we were wondering what the usage would be like. And I thought that there was some nice symmetry here. McCaffrey had 14 carries in the run game and six targets in the past game. 14 plus six equals 20. And Elijah Mitchell had 18 carries in the run game and two targets in the pass game. 18 plus 2 equals 20. So as far as distribution goes, it was even. As far as efficiency goes, Mitchell had the edge in this game. Nearly five yards a carry. Christian McCaffrey was at 2.7. But that never tells the full story. In my opinion, we saw the Chargers really, really key in on McCaffrey in this game because of what he had put on tape against the Rams. And that obviously helped McCaffrey's teammates. So what McCaffrey did away from the football in this game, Matt, blocking-wise, decoy-wise, I mean, and also he he still contributed. I thought one of the bigger plays in the game was the swing pass he caught to open up the second half because that really started fueling a lot of the 49ers run game because it created spacing on the field. But I did really enjoy watching the interplay between the 49ers two running backs in this game, because I did think that Shanahan was setting the table, not only for this game, but also for the rest of the season. By giving them that even distribution, he's obviously trying to keep both of those guys fresh, but we also saw tactically how this is going to work. If people are smothering Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell should have a little bit more room, and then vice versa. And then as time goes along, obviously, you'll be able to start really factoring Devo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, all the other 49ers weapons into the mix. They had some catches, those guys, especially Ayuk in this game, right? But I don't think that this offense is anywhere near firing at 100% capacity yet. No, uh, not not at all. And, and I think Trent Williams talked about that, that they have all these weapons. And yeah, it'd be nice to score 42 points, but... This was a good uh, kind of start, and they'll they'll try to get to that level by the end of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, to your point about Mitchell and, and McCaffrey, they're they're really each other's uh, best best friends. 
Um, both guys have struggled with injuries, especially Mitchell uh, over his very brief career. And uh, I've said this before, McCaffrey was averaging 85, 86% of the snaps in Carolina. That's a huge number for a running back. I don't know, you know, since Frank Gore left, I don't know any uh, running back that's done that. Well, on Sunday night, he got 65% of the snaps, and uh, Mitchell got 35% of the snaps. Um, that 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 mean that saves wear and tear. That uh, kind of reduces injury exposure, so that both of these guys are healthy by the end of the season. And um, that that beginning of the second half that you referenced, um, I thought that was really interesting because on on that first down play. McCaffrey is behind Garoppolo just as a, as a normal tailback. Uh, Debo Samuel is split out wide, but just before the snap, Samuel comes in motion, so he's in the backfield right behind Garoppolo as the ball is being snapped. So Garoppolo has the option to throw to, to hand off to him. He has got the option to hand off to McCaffrey. On that one, McCaffrey went out for a pass, and they ended up getting 21 yards. On the very next snap, it's opposite. Debo Samuel's in the backfield. McCaffrey is split out wide as a wide receiver. McCaffrey goes in motion um, and is behind Garoppolo at the snap, and they end up handing the ball to, to Debo Samuel, and I think he gets something like 15 yards on that play. So two really productive, well-designed plays, but to your point, kind of uh, alerting the, the Chargers and everybody else on the schedule, we can do a lot of things when these two guys are on the field. Um, and even when they're they're lined up in a kind of traditional tailback wide receiver format, we can do a lot of things from there as well. So it just creates movement with the defense. Garoppolo sees that movement. Um, it's already advantage offense, Dennis, before the ball is even snapped. Yeah, and and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces in this offense in the Kyle Shannon offense, and now he's got all these different guys that he can use. He's got running backs he can use for receivers. He's got receivers he can use for running backs. So I think it's going to take some time for for the whole thing to kind of gel or gel together. Um, I think in the first half, you know, Kyle Shanahan had that in his mind. You know, he was he was trying to call these plays where he had, you know, guys in different positions. And then, you know, I think in the second half, he said, listen, we don't even need all that fancy stuff because we can run the ball against these guys and we can eat up a whole lot of clock you know, by just running the ball. Five yards to pop Elijah Mitchell. I mean, you do that all night long, you know, win the football game. So, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces in this offense. I think it's going to take some time for it all to kind of come together, but it's a good problem to have. I mean, if these guys can stay healthy, if if you can have Elijah Mitchell in there, you can have Kristen McCaffrey in, and then let these guys, you know, take some breaks on the sidelines, come in and still be effective. I mean, I think moving these, you know, this, this, the second half of the football season, I mean, it's going to save a whole lot of a lot of injuries, uh, avoid a lot of injuries, and it's going to keep these guys healthy, keep these guys with fresh legs, uh, and it's just going to be a positive thing for this offense. But I'm sure Kyle Shanahan, I mean, I'm sure his whiteboard in his office is just full of these plays, just kind of interchanging all these different guys, and and they're all. You know, they're all yak guys. You get the ball to any of these guys, it's going to be positive yards down the football field. And then if you have guys like Brandon Ayuk, who's who, you know, he had that fumble and he had that drop touchdown, but he's a good receiver and he's going to be the guy you can go. Jawan Jennings on third down and then you still got juice and you got George Kittle. So, you know, the ceiling is super high for this offense, you know, and, and I thought they were going to I figured they were going to struggle against against the Chargers because that's what the 49ers do. But 
you know, this team shouldn't really be putting up 30, 35 points a football game. Well, you know what will help the 49ers develop that cohesion, and they did it last night, is converting third downs, especially third and long, at, at the rate that, that they that they did. They they were not efficient on first and second down yesterday. In fact, if you look at the advanced numbers, first and second down cumulatively was a net negative for the 49ers, but they were just ultra, ultra efficient on third down, especially when they passed the football. Garoppolo was... 8 of 11 for 108 yards on third downs. So what that does, if you're that efficient on third downs, especially those third and longs when first and second down really don't work out, you've earned yourself more opportunities to run, more opportunities to spread the ball out, to find rhythm on offense. And when you talk about needing reps, well, one of the worst things for a team that needs reps is to just go three and out all the time because – then you're obviously failing, but at the same time, you're not giving yourself a chance to improve as far as cohesion goes. But yesterday, even though those first and second downs weren't good, Matt, they were, you know, shooting themselves in the foot with penalties and uh, runs were going into a brick wall. The, the 49ers still earned themselves more plays. And, you know, most of that credit has to go to Jimmy Garoppolo because of the way that he was converting downfield in some of those third and long situations. Oh, for sure. And um, John Jennings, we talked about him and his third down prowess. Um, I think you noted on Twitter, David, that he's becoming the the, the Kendrick Bourne of uh, this uh, generation of 49ers teams. Uh, just really a, a third down maven, uh, a guy that uh, you, you trust throwing the ball. He's got those long arms. He fights after the catch. And I thought Ayuk, you know, for all the, the troubles that he had, uh, I give him a, a break on the fumble. That just seemed like uh, happenstance, where the, uh, the the ball goes right into an opponent's helmet. But he did also drop a uh, uh, potential touchdown that went through his hands that could have been uh, intercepted. That would have been uh, just absolutely terrible for the 49ers. But he seemed very, very eager to make up for that, uh, especially with that catch on a ball that was behind him. Wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo's best pass, but Ayuk um, uh, uh, reached out and then really tried to get into the end zone. The, the 49ers scored a couple of plays later. Uh, this is at the end of the game, but you could just tell that the passion was there, that he, um, I, I, I may have been reading too much into it, but I thought that he wanted to make up for the earlier errors. And um, Dennis, I, I imagine that's exactly what you want in a teammate, a guy who doesn't sulk or get down when he uh, messes up, but is out there trying his darndest to uh, make amends for them. And that's what I, I felt uh, Ayuk was doing in the second half. Yeah, and, and he stayed at it. I mean, he's a hard worker. I mean, he's he's had his challenges in his short career, but it, it really feels like each game he's getting better and better and better. And and I think he's he's kind of understanding. He's, he's a guy in the passing game. I mean, Debo, you know, Debo's kind of a – you know, a, a, a running back that you get the ball to and, and, you know, these little short passes and let him get those yak yards. But he's a guy downfield. And, and I think it was in the maybe the third quarter when he made that catch and it got down to the one yard line. Could have been the fourth quarter. And it was just, you know, you stay after it. You know, you want you don't want guys to kind of soak on 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 the the mistakes you might make and guys that want to go out and make plays. And it, it feels like to me, 
he always, I don't know how many times he was targeted, but I, I feel like he wants the ball and he always wants to get better as a receiver. And I think he is getting better as a receiver. I, I don't think he's used as much. We saw last night he was used quite a bit, but I think he needs some more targets because he's a kid I think gets better and better with more and more reps and he wants to get better and he's got that attitude. Uh, and he kind of has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he went through the whole thing with Kyle Shanahan. I think it was last season when he was in a doghouse for a little bit and he always wants to kind of prove himself. So that's what you want on the football team. That's that's leadership on the football team. And I, and I enjoy watching him play. Well, you know, the biggest, I thought there were two huge plays yesterday in the past game. There, there are more than two big ones, but the two absolutely critical ones that the 49ers had to have third and 12, Jimmy Garoppolo to George Kittle. That was when they were down 13-3 to after they had had a punt blocked. And Nick Bosa was the essentially the, the, the person who prevented the Chargers from going up 17-3 to because he logged the sack. So he, he made it 13-3 to instead of 17-3. to 49ers got the ball back. Elijah Mitchell looked confused ahead of a play. Wasn't really sure where to line up. That led to a delay of game. Put the 49ers way behind schedule. Offense was sputtering. Again, they were down 10 at the time. It was late in the first half. And that's when Garoppolo completed the Kittle for 21 yards on that third and 12. Very next play was the Ray Ray McLeod off-schedule play, which, by the way, was same idea as the Christian McCaffrey touchdown against the Rams. Ray Ray McLeod was just camped out in the flat. He improvised because he saw open space downfield. He bolted out there, had good chemistry with Garoppolo. Garoppolo found him downfield. That's exactly what Christian did to score his touchdown at L.A. But but that, that wasn't one of my two plays. The first play was Kittle, third and 12. That started the drive, four straight passes, ended up being Garoppolo sneak for a touchdown, got the 49ers back into the flow of things. Second massive, massive play was third and 10 later in the game. It was after Jawan Jennings doing his bull in a china shop impersonation, which was obviously also a big play. But this was third and 10 against cover zero, guys. Remember cover zero? We talked about it after the Kansas City game. The Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo ran that aggressive blitz and Trent Williams blocked nobody. And the outlet man, Jeff Wilson, was just it was unrealistic for Jimmy Garoppolo to get to him. Garoppolo should have thrown the ball away. He didn't. It was intercepted. Well, in this game, Daniel Brunskill was able to block two guys on cover zero. He didn't stop them, but he got a piece of two guys, which slowed the rush down enough for Garoppolo to be able to find the man who we're talking about, Brandon Ayuk, 24-yard gain to set up the game-winning touchdown. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of cool that we talk about this probably toward the end of the show to wrap things up because team effort, right? A, play calling. You had the outlet in the correct spot. Brandon Ayuk was in the correct spot. He was facing the blitz. So Jimmy Garoppolo, even though the blitz was coming right to him, was able to find Ayuk. Ayuk had to make the catch. He had to take it down to near the goal line. But also, you know, on top of what the quarterback and the receiver did, the offensive line contributed in a situation where they didn't contribute a couple weeks ago against Kansas City. Again, Trent Williams didn't slow anybody down in that cover zero blitz that turned into an interception against Kansas City, Daniel Brunskill was able to take out two guys or at least slow down two guys. And, you know, that to me, Matt, was maybe one of the best examples of offensive cohesion so far from the 49ers this season. 
I know Dennis hates talking about offensive linemen, but um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue that theme. Um, yeah, I mean, people keep asking, oh, why is Brunskill uh, rotating with uh, Spencer Burford, the, the rookie? Um, and, and it's for it, this. This is exactly why. Not not just because Brunskill made a nice play, but it it's sort of a, a, a teaching experience too. I mean, Brunskill's the veteran. He's very smart. Um, I, I don't think anybody thinks that uh, he's uh, ultimately going to be better than Spencer Burford. Burford is just very talented, very smart on his own, just not as experienced. So uh, it, it allows Burford to kind of sit back, watch, um, catch his breath, see how somebody else is doing it. But um, it's it's a great point um, that, uh, you know, that I, I don't think that uh, Burford would have recognized that. That's probably unfair to say. Who knows what he would have done? But I think that Brunskill's experience in that situation allowed him to do that, and that's sort of uh, sort of the the uh, the approach that Chris Furster, the offensive line coach, and uh, Kyle Shanahan are taking. Uh, they are very very hard on rookies. They don't allow rookies um, any slack. I mean, look at look at the rookies usage uh on on sunday i mean womack played only special teams danny gray rolled his ankle in pregame he didn't play at all ty davis price didn't play at all um jordan mason was reduced to special teams spencer burford is uh defeating the odds right now by having started every game so far this season uh but they're doing it very piecemeal and they're doing it in a teaching fashion which i think is par for the course for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and, you know, that offensive line is, I think, is the reason why I, I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo was only sacked once. He's probably hit twice. Um, it, it gives him now the ability, as this as this offensive line gets kind of sheared, or, uh, seared up a little bit, is, you know, he gives them the opportunity to see the entire football field. You know, he has an opportunity to see Ray Ray you know, kind of come open in the flat like that. I think, you know, Jimmy's playing good football. He played good football, you know, last night. I mean, he's he's a guy that, you know, he's the key to this whole offense. You know, this offense, the offensive line gives him the opportunity to do what he does best is to kind of see the field and get the ball to his his playmakers. Um, and, and, you know, Aaron Banks, I mean, he, you know, he was a big question mark. He's becoming a really good offensive guard in the NFL. So, you know, you get these guys and, and you, you, you rotate them in, you get them the rest. They, like you said, they can look at plays on the sidelines. They can talk to the coach, go back in there and execute. So, you know, this offensive line, you know, the, the game is won and lost in the line of scrimmage in, in any football game. And if this offensive line can get that synergy and, and, and get that, you know, work as one, uh, even though, you know, guys are coming in and out, it just helps everything else out. You know, your quarterback has the ability to sit back there and, and just find the playmakers and get the ball out and get it out on time. And, you know, that's that's what's, you know, the big thing with this with this Kyle Shannon offense. I mean, it's the run game and the pass game, and it all starts with that offensive line. And that offensive line is pass protecting. Again, we, we've, I mean, we've, we've made this point so many times, I feel, over the past couple of weeks evaluating the first half of the season. The pass protection, though, has improved so much this year uh, as a whole. And that Brunskill double block on the cover zero to Brandon Ayuk, to 24-yarder to set up the go-ahead touchdown, I think is a great example of that. The run blocking, uh, you know, I think still 
too many breakdowns for Kyle Shanahan to be fully happy. Again, the Chargers had given up 5.7 per carry entering this game. It was the worst clip in the NFL, and they held the 49ers to 3.8 per carry. The 49ers really had a grind for everything that they got. A lot of gambling from the Chargers against the 49ers run game, which, you know, I think is is why Garoppolo's four consecutive completions late in the second quarter were so important because the 49ers had to pass to set up the run, right, to keep the Chargers honest. And they ended up doing that. But I still don't think that the 49ers are in a perfectly balanced state of existence on offense. They're getting better. They're getting better. Now, I looked at the DVOA splits since McCaffrey joined the team in week eight, past three weeks. Still a small sample size, but over those three weeks, the 49ers are number two in pass offense, number 10 in run offense, and they're number one overall in in, in offense in those three weeks. If you look at the, the efficiency of each down in, down out. They, over the course of the whole season with Garoppolo, it's it's number three pass offense and number 20 run offense. So the goal is to bring those two together, right? So you have balance so Shanahan can operate with impunity from the line of scrimmage. Defense doesn't know what's coming. So if we are to trust the small sample of the past three games, they've taken that massive gap from that, that is number three to number 20, and they've closed it to number two to number 10. And that's a step in the right direction. It's one that you would expect with Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell now available, right? But as we saw yesterday, Matt, it was anything but a finished product offensively. And the 49ers have to keep on working on that because the opponents here moving forward, I know Arizona might not scare a lot of people, but uh, Miami is looming on that schedule. Tampa Bay playing better is looming on that schedule. Rematch with the Seahawks on December 15th is going to be really important. There are at least three games there where it seems like the 49ers are going to have to truly, truly bring their A game, and they're not all too far away. Yeah, and they should be scared uh, of the Cardinals. The 49ers have been lousy against the Cardinals in recent years. And you saw in that first half, we talked about it, a uh, big uh, you know, six-foot-six guy, Justin Herbert, escaping through big gaping holes on third downs. Uh, Nick Bosa said afterwards uh, that they they really had to concentrate on on closing those escape hatches for the quarterback. If Justin Herbert can uh, escape through those holes, <laughs> don't you think Kyler Murray is going to have uh, some fun doing that as well? And I realize that Murray didn't play uh, this past weekend, but um, uh, it, it seems as if he's going to be healthy for this game in Mexico City. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, I don't think anybody, I don't think the 49ers, I don't think uh, any of their fans should be taking um, a Arizona Cardinals team that uh, they've had a lot of trouble beating uh, too lightly uh, in this game in uh, south of the border. Yeah, I, I hope not because, you know, we, we, we talk about this division and, you know, you're done with the Rams. You got the, you got the Seahawks up in, up in um, Seattle. Uh, later in the in December, but then you got two games still with the Cardinals, and you've 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 struggled against the Cardinals. And I think it's you know you got you play this wide nine, and those gaps get really big, and you got a quarterback, and you know don't know if he's going to play if Kyler Murray's going to play or not, but you know he he tends to find those run lanes like a, like a Russell Wilson. I mean he he looks for those run lanes. He looks to extend the play, you know, scrambling around. So you've had a hard time kind of corralling this quarterback. So. You know this this next week. I mean, it's it's just important 
just as important as this week. I mean, you've got the momentum now. You got two back-to-back games on defense, at least, that you've shut down. You know, pretty good offensive. Uh, you know, uh, teams, good quarterbacks, the ability to score points, and you shut them down. So you take that momentum on. You know, to Mexico City, and you you got to do the same thing. I mean, you're gonna get a lot of snaps on defense. You gotta, you know, you gotta eliminate the big plays, the big gash plays. And we saw when this game first started. When the game started, I was like, oh, here we go. It's gonna be one of these dogfight games. You have to shut them down early. You can't let this Cardinals offense, you know, get in any type of rhythm, or let Kyler Murray get in any type of rhythm. You really gotta lock him down and be very disciplined, especially in your rush lanes, because he's looking. You know, for those little those little windows, it doesn't have to be a big one. Uh, but with your with the way your scheme, the scheme of your defense allows a lot of these these big pass rush lanes. You got to be super disciplined, try to corral this guy. Well, uh, we'll talk more about this game a little bit later in the week. But for now, we can close the book on 49ers Chargers. They were favored. They get the win. They almost covered, but they didn't. That probably upset some people. I think the spread was seven and the 49ers won by Six and they're now five and four. By the way, the Seahawks lost in Munich, so the 49ers, as far as the loss column goes, they're tied for first place. They're five and four, and the Seahawks are six and four, but they'll obviously have a chance to make up that ground against the Seahawks themselves. That's not for another month, though. A lot of important games before then, as the 49ers continue this NFC West battle, starting with Arizona in Mexico City on Monday. All right, so we'll talk to you in a few days. Matt's going to be headed out to Colorado Springs to check out the 49ers' practices as they get ready for the altitude in Mexico City. So we'll probably talk to Matt while he's out there, and then we will see how the 49ers do playing out of the country for the first time in several years. For Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you all in just a few days.